Please turn with me to your study outlines. And uh, as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad uh, that you are with us today. So glad that you're with us. The title of today's study is Kings and Cowboys. But probably a better title would be Kings and Cows because of this opening story that I want to read. According to legend, the custom for many years on the Hawaiian Islands was for a suitor to pay for the right of asking his beloved's hand in marriage by, asking her fa- by giving her father cattle. Most young women of marrying age would require two cows, sometimes even three cows. If a daughter was a special catch, she might fetch four cows. It is rumored that one father in the distant past received an unfathomable five cows for his amazingly gorgeous and charming daughter. An islander named Sam Carew had two daughters, and he faced a serious dilemma. No one on the islands considered his older daughter a special catch. Aware that her shyness and plain features were not assets for a proposal, Sam had accepted many years earlier that he would not likely fetch three cows for her. He dreamed of two but would settle for one. In fact, if he knew the man would treat her well, he would let her marry without receiving any cows. He felt fortunate that everyone agreed his younger daughter was definitely a three-cow kind of girl. Then one day, Johnny Lingo, a wealthy landowner, came to pay Sam a visit. Everyone knew Johnny was ready to settle down and assumed he was coming to propose to Sam's younger daughter. But to the surprise of the whole town and to Dad's delight, Johnny came a-calling for his older daughter. It was more than Sam could have hoped for. I may get three cows for her after all. Then he let his imagination get the best of him and thought he might even receive four cows from the wealthy suitor. You can imagine Sam's shock when Johnny brought him 10 cows for his daughter. When the happy couple came back from a year-long honeymoon, the villagers were amazed at the difference in the young wife's presence. She was strikingly beautiful, graceful, poised, confident, and self-assured. Everyone thought Johnny got a bargain paying only 10 cows for her hand in marriage. It was clear that Johnny had viewed Sam's older daughter differently than her father and the other villagers. He saw beyond her outward appearance and recognized the beauty of her heart and character. The value he placed on her true beauty helped her realize her true worth. The moment he paid 10 cows for her, she became a 10-cow wife. Now, let me ask you a minute. Do you have a Johnny Lingo in your life? Um, uh, if not, uh, do you have somebody that believes in you, that sees the best in you, that sees the potential in you? If not, God invited you here today to let you know that he will be your Johnny Lingo. Even if you don't have that person or persons in your life. God says, I invited you here today to tell you I will be that for you. Or uh, God can raise up a Johnny Lingo. Or in the case of our story today, can raise up a Jonathan for you. Or maybe God called you here today to tell you that you or I need to be a Jonathan, a Johnny Lingo or a Jonathan to somebody else. That God is calling on us to see the people around us this next week as 10 cow people, uh, to see God's potential in them. Now, David is chosen as king as our story begins. God saw David with the potential of a king. When God saw David, he didn't just see a shepherd boy. He saw a 10 cow kind of guy. 
He saw a king when he saw David. I love Psalm 78. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. Everybody else just saw a shepherd out in the sheep pens. But God looked and saw a king. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. What a great combination that is in the home, in your leadership, in your family, in your leadership at work or here at church, to have skillful hands, to be good at our job, but also combine that with character, with integrity of heart. Now, David is a picture of Jesus, 1000 BC. And a thousand years later, here comes Jesus, the son of David. And he doesn't see a bunch of fishermen. He sees a bunch of 10 cow guys. He sees a bunch of world-changing leaders. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. 87 times, Jesus said, come follow me, come follow me. In scripture, 87 times. That's why when we share Christ on the back of our program, we say how to become a follower of Jesus. I believe that's the most prevalent way it's described. Come follow me 87 times, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now David was fully engaged in caring for a sheep. He was a gifted guy. He must have sensed it. He must have felt it. Uh, world, secular historians consider David one of the great leaders of all time. And he must have sensed that giftedness. But his assignment at that particular time in his life was to watch a group of dirty sheep. And so he said, I will do that with all of my heart, even though he must have sensed there was something more for him. Instead, this was the assignment at hand. And the same thing is true for us. I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you have a boss that's difficult to work for? I don't want you to raise your hand because some of the staff here might raise their hand and I don't want to have my feelings hurt here in the middle of the message. Uh, How how many of you don't particularly care for your job right now? Well, here's how you change your perspective. The Bible says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, as if Jesus was was our boss, as if we work for uh, the Jesus company, okay? As if you were serving the Lord and not people. Now, David protected And rescued his sheep from danger. And God said, look at the way he's so diligent at protecting these sheep. Maybe he'll be that diligent in protecting and shepherding my people Israel. Uh, That's what pastors are called to do. When we sense outside influences or uh, things that are false that might confuse the sheep. or, Or error that is taught to the sheep. That's when we get our back up. That's when we get the slingshots. That's when we kill the bear or the lion. Um, Jesus, the only time he was very harsh with people when was in dealing with the Pharisees and the way they were dealing with his attempt to reach lost people. That's when he got angry. And the same thing is true with David. When the, when the flock was, uh, David was a gentle man. He wrote the Psalms, uh, much of the Psalms. He was a godly, gracious, gentle person. But when the sheep were being attacked, that's when he got his anger up. That's when he killed the bear, killed the lion. That's when his slingshot came out. And the same thing is true with pastors. When you sense error, when you sense anything that is confusing the sheep or leading them astray, that's when we respond firmly on that. And so he was fully engaged in caring for the sheep, protecting them, rescuing them. And God says, I can use him to lead my people Israel. 
James 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Whatever we do, there are no small assignments from God. Uh, if the changing that diaper changes under the Lord. If you're cleaning up that trash, clean it up as under the Lord. If you're doing that small task and nobody's watching, serve wholeheartedly because the Lord is watching. David, most importantly, was a man after God's own heart. And what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? It means to be, have God's priorities. And God's priorities are lost sheep. That's his priority. His, his heart, God's heartbeat is for the lost around us over the next five weeks leading up to Easter. His heart, he said that parable where he left the 99 behind. He, he was, cared for the 99, but he was willing to take his attention from them for a bit to focus on the one lost sheep, to do everything possible to reach the one lost sheep. And so God's priorities are the lost. And so if we know that we have God's heart, it's that we have a heart for lost people, that we'll do anything to reach lost people. Acts 13, verse 22, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, others did not see David with the potential of a king. And you might be, in God's eyes, a 10-cow person, but not everybody will see you that way. And there will be people that discourage you in fulfilling God's potential for you. That was true for David. Jesse, David's father, did not even summon David when Samuel came to anoint a new king. Samuel comes in and says, Jesse, one of your sons could be the next king. So he lines them up, all seven of them. And he completely forgets about the kid out in the field watching the sheep. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, the oldest son, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He looks like a king. Now remember where that got us last week, last Sunday? You, you think that Samuel, at least, you know, who was a godly man, you think at least he'd learn his lesson from Saul. But no, he looks at Eliab, and he's about to replace Saul with Saul uh, part two is what he's about to do. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen, I want to say amen to that. that. That's good news, isn't it? Do not look at his appearance, his height, how much hair he has, for I have rejected him. Such a beautiful, it should be in there. It's in the original Hebrew, it's just not in this translation. I'm kidding. So he lines them all up, one after another, one through seven. He, and Sam, Samuel's confused. I, did I hear God correctly? Did I hear right on that? Is there any other, anybody else out there? And Jesse says, there is still the youngest. You know what the Hebrew word, the, the actual translation of it is, the actual meaning of it is? The runt. There's still the runt. Any of you, how many of you are youngest children? Let, let me see your hands. I'm a youngest child. I married Kimberly, a youngest child. Well, you know what that feels like sometimes, to be ignored. You got a big family decision, and they all caucus except for you. My two older sisters had all the say in our family, and oh yeah, the runt, what do you think? Oh, it doesn't really matter anyway, you know. Uh, but even if you weren't the youngest, maybe you've been the last picked for something. Uh, maybe you've been unpicked for something. There's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. 
and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So it's not that God is against good-looking people, okay? It's not reverse snobism. It's just that it's secondary to what's in the heart. It, it, God's not, you know, for, for ugly or good-looking. He's for both. But the most important thing is not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside, what's, what's on the heart. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Next page of your study outline. Now David's older brother scolded David for leaving his sheep. Now, this is interesting. I'm sorry, I just had you turn, but, but there's this one phrase. I, you don't have to turn back, but I'll just tell it to you. I'd never seen this until I was preaching at last service. They'd never paid attention to it. It says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Do you think that caused problems? He did in the, especially which brother would have the biggest problem? The oldest brother. He, not only did Samuel think that's the one, he thought I'm the one. And look at what happens here. There's, there's jealousy at the root of this. His older brother scolded David for leaving a sheep to come and watch the battle with the Philistines. David's father says to him, um, go and, and check out on what your brothers are doing. And here's another thing I'd never pay attention to. That's the great thing about God's word is you can, you can read a passage a hundred times and, and for 50 years and you can still get something fresh out of it every time. Anybody want to say amen to that? It's just the amazing thing about God's word. You always, we're always picking up new stuff. And, and the, you know, the story is basically a Bible reading program, and so it picks certain passages to take you through uh, these 31 weeks. It's basically a Bible reading program. And the part that it included this week, uh, it was very interesting. It says that David rose up early in the morning, early in the morning, and left his flock in the care of a shepherd. I love that. He wouldn't leave until he knew that the flock was in good care of a good shepherd. You, you never leave the flock unless you know that the flock's cared for in the hands of, of, a, of a good shepherd with integrity, um, uh, with integrity and also with skillful hands. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked him, why have you come down here? Now, I have this theory. It's based on Scripture. Ecclesiastes says jealousy is the universal motive. And whenever I see a situation that where something's exaggerated, where there's more energy in the room than there ought to be, given the particular thing, I often will say to myself, I bet you there's some jealousy involved in this. Where there's exaggeration, where they're stretching the truth, where there's, where there's selective picking of the truth, uh, any of that, uh, where there's just like, well, where's the energy? Why is this thing upsetting this person this much? There, there must be some jealousy. And that's the case with Eli, Eliab. Look at how he exaggerates the situation. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I probably weren't few sheep. Jesse seemed to be a wealthy man. I bet you it was a lot of sheep. I know how conceited you are. Now, David may have been a lot of things, and we're going to find out what some of those weaknesses are next Sunday, but he was not conceited. But here his brother says, you're so conceited. And how wicked your heart is. That's not true. God himself had said he was a man after God's own heart. And this comes, I think, from bitterness and from jealousy of the older brother. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, I love this, this younger brother uh, response that has been here for the ages. 
Now what have I done? Asked David. Can I even speak? You know, does, does that sound like conversations in your home? Uh, not mine either. I just was asking it rhetorically. Okay. King Saul viewed David as a mere boy, not king material. So the father didn't believe in him. His oldest brother didn't believe in him. King Saul didn't see it. When David volunteers to fight Goliath, Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he's been a warrior from his youth. But then I love this passage where he said, well, look, when nobody was looking, when a lion attacked the flock, I fought off the lion. When a bear attacked the flock, I fought off the bear. Now I've, what I've done in private with nobody looking but God, I will do with all the eyes of Israel looking on me against Goliath. It sounds like an NFL preseason report. I defeated the bears. I defeated the lions. I will now defeat the giants. So that's, that's like just a NFL preseason report going on there. And so he says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this uh, Philistine. You know, that's what happens. God builds your faith when nobody's looking. Nobody's looking. He's, he's looking to see if we're faithful in little things like watching dirty sheep out in the boonies. Nobody looking. And, and it's like it's built his muscle of faith. I did it against the bear. I did it against the, the lion. Now I can take on Goliath. And then Goliath didn't see it. Goliath despised him. You know, this David and Goliath, this story is just one for the ages, probably one, that's one of the most well-known stories in all of, not just Christian history, but human history. You know, just last night I started reading the hottest new business book, um, this great business book by Malcolm Gladwell, and it's called David and Goliath. And this is the guy that's written all the big uh, business bestsellers like Tipping Point, Blink, Outliers. I mean, this is the business guru of our time. And I started reading it. It was absolutely fascinating. Um, he really believes that David was the favorite in this battle because he, he says that, um, you, you know, that, that the slingshot of that time, if you were good with a sling, it was a deadly thing. And he says it was basically like uh, David with a 45 millimeter handgun against, you know, Goliath lumbering in and, and a slow-moving target. And he applies it, I think, to business being nimble and quick. But obviously we know the miraculous was involved in this as well. But it's a fascinating book. But Goliath despised him because he thought the odds were on his side. Uh, you look at the bronze armor that archaeologists have found from the 9th to 7th century B.C., Going against David, here's an Assyrian carving that archaeologists have found that shows a sling such as they would use back at that particular time. And so Goliath despised him. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Now, nobody saw it in David, but Jonathan... Saul's son and successor to the throne. And he's the one that had the most to lose because he was supposed to be the king, but he seasoned it. And this is the mark. Jonathan is one of those underrated, unrecognized people in scripture. He is just a tremendous guy. I mean, there's nothing negative you ever read about him in scripture, nothing. And here he cares so much for Israel that he would rather have somebody else you know, do this thing, be king, David, then, then do it himself if David could do a better job of it. Isn't that a remarkable thing when you see that? 
to say, look, let, let you do it because in this particular situation, you can do uh, a better job. And so Jonathan, Saul's son and successor to the throne, saw David with the potential of a king. And you just need one person, just one, can make a difference in a person's life. They say with young adults that if there's just one person that believes in them as they're growing up, that can completely change their lives. That's why teaching is such a great profession. Because how many of you, just one teacher believed in you, or one coach, or, or one leader of an organization you were part of, or something like that, or in your church, one person believed in you. But we all get to be a part of this. We all can be that one person. Pastor Eric, our high school pastor, has challenged us with research that shows that if young adults in the church, high schoolers, junior highers, young adults post-high school as well, if they have just three or four adults in the church that know their name, regularly ask how they're doing, and tell them they're praying for them. Just a handful of adults, just two or three adults, maybe even just one, that knows their name, every once in a while, see them at church, hey, how's school going? Anything I can pray for you about? Just want you to know I'm praying for you. They said it, it, it like doubles or triples how likely they are to stay with church in the years ahead. I had a young man named Augustine uh, grab me after service. He says, I've been going here for four years, and I've never come up and taken up your offer to meet you. He said, but I just had to tell you, that thing you said about young adults, he said, that is so true. If you just have some older adults that just simply know your name, and, and he says, you, you tell them at the rest of the services, it made a huge difference in my life. He says, I gotta go now. I'm serving in children's ministry during 945. And, and, and if we just know their names and pray for them and talk them, be, be just that Jonathan uh, for somebody else. Be just that person. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David. Now, we think that's a nice gift along with the other things that are mentioned here. But actually, there could be something legal going on here. Highly symbolic of saying to David, you will be king instead of me. Uh, ancient texts from this period are some examples of the legality of this. There's this one example in uh, text from antiquity where a young man is being expelled from his home by his father. And so as he walks out the door, he takes off his robe, he puts it on a stool next to the door and walks out the door saying, I have no longer any claim to the inheritance of my father. Uh, there's another text from antiquity that shows a king, a young king, a prince that's relinquishing his rights to the throne. And so he takes off his robe and he places it on the throne. And that's a sign that I am uh, relinquishing my rights to the throne. And so we believe by him taking off this robe and giving it to David, he is saying, you will be the king instead of me. Now David goes into the boot camp to be trained as a king. He's willing to wait for God's timing, which Saul was never willing to wait. If you run ahead of God's timing, you get the thing you want, but you get it with trouble on top of it. But if you wait patiently for God's timing, you get the thing you want, and there's blessing on it instead of trouble. He's willing uh, to be trained. Now again, jealousy is at the heart of Saul, changing from the attitude we just saw in that film clip uh, to because of jealousy, because he thought uh, David was after his crown when he wasn't. His heart turns to him, and he chases him for years uh, trying to kill him. Saul, who is hostile to David, is God's tool to train David in godly, kingly character. Let me ask you, who's the Saul in your life? Okay, We all love a Jonathan that'll encourage us, but did you know that a Saul in our life can just as much be a tool that God uses to train us in godliness as a Jonathan? I mean, who's your Saul? As a matter of fact, on the count of three, if they're here, just point to them. Just kidding. I wouldn't want to do that in case... 
any of the church staff is here, and they raise their hand, you know, and point at me, you know, your boss, uh, he's the one that's going to do that. So at, at any rate, who's your Saul? Who, who is God using as a tool in your hands? Like uh, Joseph, we saw this weeks ago, and the story said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So David lives as a fugitive, depending on God for guidance and for help. And he learns that sometimes the hard times, like running from Saul in the wilderness, was training him to be king, every much as the encouragement of his friend Jonathan. And so he writes Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. For family protection while we sleep, we pray for healing, for prosperity, we pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering and way too much to give us lesser things cause what if your blessings come through raindrops, what if your healing comes through tears, and what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near and what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry out in anger when we, we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness and we doubt your love as if every promise from your word is not enough and all the while you hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to What if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through 
Thank you, Jessica. That was absolutely beautiful. I heard her sing that as a funeral that I was doing uh, last Saturday and said that would fit perfectly at this spot. Uh, She hates it when I do this, but I want to brag about her. Do you know that she has been asked to audition for The Voice on TV, if anybody's familiar with that? And... uh, we don't, know, we don't know what's going to happen on that, but just being asked, what a great, great honor uh, that that is. Would you sing that at my funeral too, Jessica? You know, like 50 years from now or something like that, if you would. After 40 years of training, David is ready to go represent God and God's character, and he's inaugurated as king over Israel. Now, David as king points to the one who will come as the Messiah, and that's Jesus. And like I said earlier, David is a picture of Jesus. David and Jesus are of the same tribe and city, Judah and Bethlehem. David was anointed with oil, and then the Holy Spirit came on him, just as Jesus was anointed with the Spirit. Anointed one actually means Messiah. They're one and the same. And Palm Sunday that we're going to celebrate four Sundays from today, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of, you tell me, David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. Other parallels that we've seen, clues in the early part of the story about how the story is going to end. We've seen so far in Exodus, Jesus is the Passover lamb. In Joshua, Jesus and Joshua mean the same. Joshua in the Hebrew means Savior. Jesus in the Greek means Savior. In the book of Judges, Jesus is the ultimate deliverer. 
In the book of Ruth, Jesus is the kinsman or the guardian redeemer. So that's where the story is eventually going. Let me just ask you a question as we begin to close down. Do you have a story? Do you have a story because you've responded to the story? What's your story? Do you know that you have committed your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Um, 50 years ago yesterday was my 50th spiritual birthday. I came to Christ 50 years ago yesterday. And I came across this Bible, this old beat-up children's Bible a, a, a little bit back. Uh, let's uh, put up there what's on the inside cover given to me by my parents. I was saved on Sunday night, March 15th, 1964, in my daddy's bedroom. And unfortunately, my handwriting is about the same now. <laughs> Where's my assistant, Bev? Where's my assistant, Bev? Bev, raise your hand. Yeah, she'll, she'll tell you. This is almost, yeah, I see Jennifer raising her hand right there. And you know what's hilarious is my dad was of that generation that prided themselves on their penmanship. So that's my dad at the top, Glenn K. Gunderson. That's his thing. Look just how sad it is with our kids sometimes, you know. That's what I ended up with. But I, he, my dad led me to Christ in his bedroom 50 years ago last night. And he had me write down 1 John 5, verses 11 through 13. And this is the record. That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you know that you have that same story? Could, could maybe you write into the cover of your Bible today, March 16th, 2014, would everybody turn with me to the back of their programs? I've asked you to do this a thousand times, but could we do it one more time? And there you'll see the three simple steps to how to become a follower of Jesus. 87 times Jesus said, come follow me. Admit your condition before God. I need a savior. Believe that Jesus is that solution. See, choose to follow Jesus as your savior and Lord. Jesus said, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but he or she has crossed over from death to life. Would you like to know that you have a story uh, today? No that you have a story because of God's story. I invite you to pray silently as I pray out loud. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe that Jesus was who he said he was and proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and your purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And all God's family said, Amen.